All right, I got good news for you this morning. The good news is I'm not talking and P. Ray is. So P. Ray, come on. Y'all give it up for P. Ray. All right. How's everybody doing? One guy's a mess. Somebody else... A... Oh, you're blessed. I actually thought you said, I'm a mess. <laughs> that's what happens when you put a guy up here that's hard of hearing. Say what? Listen, I... I I got to apologize. Uh, uh, this morning I got up early. I've had four cups of coffee and seven donuts, so I'm a little amped. Uh, everybody doing all right? Oh, uh, listen, uh, it's so good to see you all. And um, uh, we had a wedding here yesterday. That was a good thing, wasn't it? You guys, some of you here, and maybe even some family guests that have stayed uh, uh, one more day for a Cliff and Jinwa's wedding it was sweet, wasn't it? And I'll tell you, when they got to the, um, when they got to the vows, Adam, I, the Holy Spirit came in the room. It was very, very nice. Really, really liked that. And um, I had one husband uh, tell me before uh, church today that uh, actually that he got a little bit teary, you know. So when the, when the men folk get teary, you know, it's got to be pretty good. Uh, I love weddings and I love marriage. Uh, Kim and I have been married just over 25 years. And I've just got to tell you, it's so nice to be able to find that one special person that you can annoy for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Amen. That's right. Uh, so we're wishing them the best. Uh, I think they're off to Wisconsin today. Um, uh, so that's a good thing. Andrew, are you in the room or is he working with uh, the children? You, you realized when you prayed, you prayed for freedom and then you said from the nursery. So parents, if you left a child in the nursery, our director of family ministries actually prayed for freedom from the nursery. So there may, you know, your kid might be, I don't know, down to McDonald's. Kids breaking out because Andrew has an amazing uh, prayer life, that's for sure. So watch out for that. Um, I actually do today want to uh, talk about uh, love since we were uh, uh, dealing with uh, a wedding yesterday. Um, uh, love is, uh, is a good subject. I think God's in favor of it. Uh, some of us in the room are also in favor of it. And uh, this is going to be really dangerous because we're going to go after the love chapter, you know. Uh, we had an over and under. Your, your associate pastor's got a gambling problem. So there was actually a wager as to whether or not we'd hear 1 Corinthians 13 read out loud at the wedding because you know about half the weddings they are. I was deeply disappointed that it wasn't because it cost me 20 bucks. Um, yeah, because on the blog I said I'm, I'm already wagering. And so, see, that's it. If you tip your hand on that there interweb, then, you know, it can skew the whole process, right? Uh, but uh, uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, make your way, if you don't mind, to First uh, Corinthians uh, 13. And, um, you know, the amazing thing about love, that that's going to be the text where we're going to be at, but you realize that uh, Jesus boiled the whole big, thick book from the front of the, you know, the, the book all the way to the back. He boiled the book down to two commandments. He said, you know, the it's, uh, it's the Jesus Creed, right? It's love of God and love of uh, your neighbor. And um, one of the things that I want to explore today is whether or not God would ask of us something that we cannot do. And, you know, if you've been to Sunday school or you're totally church broken, you know the answer is, well, no, God would never do that, right? Uh, he's not going to ask of us something that we couldn't do. And yet, uh, when it comes to, like, sitting in a wedding and watching young people take their vows and if you've been married for any length of time, you begin to realize, you know, they, they really are in love, but they really have no clue as to what it is that, you know, lay ahead. Um, I like to tell people, Kim and I have been married for 23 happy years. 
25 altogether. Uh, and, you know, during those couple of years when we had a very, very hard time, uh, I, was, I was a difficult person to love, but I fortunately picked a really good wife who stuck with me during that time. Um, what, um, what amazes me about this particular chapter is that it's just 265 words. Uh, they're words that uh, are uh, lofty and poetic, which is really strange because it comes in the middle of a letter where the Apostle Paul is saying, you guys are the craziest bunch of believers I've ever seen. You know, this is the letter that he writes to the people in Corinth who were whacked out, right? These people did not have their act together. Uh, And so we're used to this chapter, as I say, in weddings or ripped out of a context. But the proper context for uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is Paul was writing to a radically screwed up bunch of people who called themselves Christians. Can I get a witness? Right? You know, there was, uh, you know if, we, if we wanted to get really depressed, we could draw up a list of all of the things that were going wrong in that church, all of the things that were going wrong in individual people's lives, and that's who Paul was writing to. Um, but, you know, it is amazing to me that this one aspect, the love, is the unique province of the church. And I want to say that, uh, that, that the church, whether it's the local church or whether it's the church universal, that love is part of the church's address, that it's the unique mission of the church to embody and to demonstrate the love of God in very real and very practical ways, from marriages to families to, uh, to uh, community relationships and the relationship that we have uh, with a community. Uh, let, me just, let me just try this on for size. If, if we say that it's the unique province of the church that's missional, that has something to do with us demonstrating the love of God, but try it on any other foot. Uh, as much as I respect, uh, you know, the educational mission, Andrea, good interview, um, try, try to see if the public school system or, the, or a private school, for that matter, could teach children love. You know, Andrea can demonstrate love on an individual basis, but imagine making curriculum... The, you know, love part of the curriculum at a, at, a, at a school system. Or imagine, if you will, the federal department of demonstrating God's love. You know, we have trouble with delivering the mail. We have trouble with, you know, getting cash for clunkers right. Can you imagine, you know, if it were the province of a federalized government to demonstrate the love of God? This is part of the unique mission and identity of the church, and it's part of what we, you know, are called to. Uh, I'm just doing a, a, just a, a little bit of um, uh, preliminary stuff here. Uh, uh, anybody here uh, that's, you know, like going to school to be, I don't know, like a rocket scientist or a medical doctor or, you know, any of the hard sciences where you've got to take chemistry, biology, physics, anybody that's either done that, you know, you, you've got the degree or you're currently just, there's, there's a few, right, you know, that are doing real hard. Don't you guys hate the liberal arts people? I mean, you know, you guys have to book it for four hours a night, six hours a night. And then, you know, if you had a roommate or something and, you know, they were like, you know, a literature major, they said, man, the homework's killing me. I have to read a poem tonight. <laughs> you know, it, um, uh, you know, liberal arts majors are really slow. And I was a liberal arts major, uh, you know, uh, before they had the, you know, the four dummies series. You know, right in my course catalog back in 1931 when I was an undergraduate, in the course catalog it said math for idiots. If you need three hours of math to get your undergraduate degree, take this. You know, and it was college. It was like long division, you know, that sort of thing. Is, 
so this was really difficult for me to realize, but 1 Corinthians 13 falls precisely in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And it's not an accident of mathematics. There's a reason that, you know, the 1 Corinthians 13 comes there. As I said, Paul was writing to a very uh, screwed up group of Christians, and 1 Corinthians 12 deals with ministry. 1 Corinthians 14 deals with worship and order and ministry within the church. And it isn't as if Paul was ADD and then all of a sudden he just flipped out and did a chapter on love. Love comes right in the middle of the idea of ministry and mission and order within the church life. And we're going to be looking at that. Um, I actually did, uh, you know, Adam mentioned my blog and uh, uh, I'm, um, I'm an addicted Twitter guy. And uh, so I put out on Twitter a a request, and I think I did it on Facebook as well, uh, asking people up or down, yes or no, is it possible to live up to the words in 1 Corinthians 13? Looking for people to try to answer that question. And what was amazing is that the people that responded to me uh, had a difficult time saying yes without any reservation at all that we can live up to these 265 words that have to do with love. Uh, and, and yet they couldn't bring themselves either completely to say no because there's something instinctive, intuitive, deep in our heart of hearts that tells us that love is important, that love is a part and parcel of who we are, and yet our life experience tells us, oh man, you know what a mess we get into when we start talking about love. You know, people cannot disregard the command of God to love him and to love one another. And yet we can't fully and unreservedly give ourselves to say no. But here's the question that we're really after today. And it'll take two or three hours to get to it. But here's the question. And that is, is it possible to live up to the revelation of scripture that's in 1 Corinthians 13? Um, You can follow along in your Bible, or if you want to hear a raspy northerner, just read it. It doesn't take long. We're going to read a whole chapter You can be holier than people from other churches. You can say, we did a whole chapter in church today. So if you just want to like, you know, let it wash over you, I want to read it to you. Or if you want to follow along, that's fine. But this is out of the NIV version. And in chapter 13, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. But now we see in a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Spirit of God, we just ask that you would continue the work that you started from the time that our eyes opened this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move in us? Would you pull back the veil? And would you show us the infinite possibilities of life in you? Amen. All right. Did you feel the room change when we read that? I did. Apparently no one else. The room changed because this is the word of God. It's the word of God, and it's especially the word of God for us today. And I want to pick out, in particular, four things um, out of this passage. And the first of them, wouldn't you figure it's a liberal arts guy, is I, w- I want to point to a verse that we didn't even read. How many of you know that the chapter divisions and the verse divisions in the Bible were added hundreds of years after the Holy Spirit breathed out these words? Did you know that? I mean, I'm, use- I'm, I'm glad that it's useful that we've got them. But the real pericope, the real beginning of this passage is actually in chapter 12, verse 31, uh, where Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And as I said, it's not just Paul trying to uh, wax poetic. Chapter 12, verse 31 has something to teach us. And it's just simply this, love is a pathway. Love is a way of life. Love is a way that we can follow. And right here this morning, while we're just all together and while you are forced to listen to me, we've got some reckoning to do. And part of that reckoning is, is that this is the revelation of the scripture. The scripture is telling us this is the best path we can take. Paul says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. So if you're looking for a way to, to uh, set your life back on the tracks. If you're looking for a pathway that will last you, not through the end of August, not through the end of 2010, but all the way through your life, the revelation of the scripture is that what we are looking at today in just these few minutes really is the best way for you to live your life. Um, if, um, if you were here last week and, and Adam uh, spoke so eloquently about the parameters that God sets for our lives. And, and he worked really hard at the beginning of the message. If you, if you didn't hear the message, you can, can go to our audio archive and you can you know, click on it. But, he, but, but Adam talked about the fact that God's best intentions for us, they're parameters that if we are alienated from God, we feel closed in by those parameters. But if we can catch hold of the fact that he loves us so much more than we understand. The truth is, is that God's way really is the best way for us. You know, it's not like, you know, these, these darn parameters, I've got to get rid of them. It's that God's way really is the best thing for us. The kingdom of God is the best choice that we can make. Well, that's the revelation of the scripture here, chapter 12, verse 31. This is the most excellent way to live. Bill, Ted, I hope you're listening. This is the most excellent way. This is the one, right? And we've got a choice, and that is right now, do we think that we're just reading poetry like a liberal arts major, 
Or are we in the applied sciences of life in which we're determining what is the most effective, the most profitable, the best way to live, the way that keeps you from getting ulcers, the way that keeps you from giving other people ulcers? The What? Yeah, I mean, you know, literally our physical body. I'm, just, I'm not used to having people agree with me. Um, um, you, know, it's the, you know, it's the most effective way for us to live, and it actually will mean good health and life. It'll make you, know, it'll whiten your teeth. Is it poetry, or is this revelation from God for everyday life? And we need to settle in our minds. We really need to do this math. Is it possible to live like this? Would God ask of us something we can't do? You know, is he that mean that he sets the bar this high? I don't know what the high jump record is. You know, I'm sure it's something more than four feet. I don't know. High jump, what's high jump? 10, 12, 15 feet up? up? I don't know. But would God say, okay, here's the high bar. Here it is, 15 feet. Run, ready, get ready, jump over it. Or is he sharing with us the most excellent way? Or... I know these words. I hear them read at weddings. I've heard this many times. How many of us know that familiarity doesn't mean we understand something? I mean, I'm living proof of that. Familiarity doesn't mean we understand something. But this chapter is God's gift to us in how to order our lives. Jesus, please help us. It's the most excellent way. And in the first three verses of this chapter... Paul really wants to teach something. You know, Paul's speaking, you know, through the Holy Spirit. And when he says that if I speak in tongues of of angels and I don't have love, you know, that it's pretty noisy. If I've got a gift of prophecy, if I can fathom mysteries, if I'm a really smart guy, you know, we, we just read the whole thing. Paul is contrasting ministry with love. And I actually want to tell you with, with some real trepidation and sadness, actual chapters out of my life, okay? Different city different state, different people. You don't know these people, all right? But Kim and I, at one point in our lives, did youth ministry. And there was the daughter of one of the people on staff at a church that I used to go to. And that daughter accused the father of uh, sexual abuse in a public place. In, uh, you know, she made the accusation in a public place. She made the accusation in her workplace which was also my workplace. And the boss called me in and said, listen, I know you know this, this girl, and I, and, I, and I just wanted to bring it up because it's either true or it's a cry for help. And my wife and I sat across a desk from one of the members of a staff in our church and said, we have no idea if this is true, but this is what your daughter is saying about you out in the world. And the first words out of this particular staff member's mouth was, if word of this gets out, It will ruin my ministry. That was the staff member's first response. Do you understand? Paul is saying ministry, when compared to love, is dog meat. Do you understand that? But the problem with Christians, the problem with professional paid Christians, but Christians who are in love with any degree of ministry is, is that sometimes we value ministry as the highest good. And here, not in some other state or with some other people, in our congregation where we value the prophetic ministry, we get totally jazzed when we pray for people and and their bodies respond and there's physical healing. 
This church in the last few years has amazing testimonies of, of prophetic words that have unlocked people in things, li- things in people's lives, uh, of pr- uh, prayer for healing that has changed people's lives. Cancer has gone. The deaf have heard. Uh, prophetic words have given people direction in their lives. And it's good and it's okay to be excited about ministry. But it's possible to put ministry above the heart of God. Yeah, help us, Lord. This guy said, if word of this gets out, it'll ruin my ministry. It wasn't just because, you know, he was a paid professional guy. The truth is, is that he had valued ministry above the love of his family. You see, ministry is not love. Um, In a different state, in a different church, with a different group of people, there was this woman that wrote songs and sang, and I'm telling you, every time this woman sang, it would bring tears to my eyes in a good way. I mean, it was a good thing. She was really good at what she did. She was married. She had two children. And she determined that God was calling her to go into Christian contemporary music. She was sure that God had anointed her, that God had equipped her, that she had responded by practicing and honing her art. And she was sure that God was leading her into that ministry right up until when her husband said, why don't we get the children up to college age and then you can go and pursue that? And she said, no, my calling and my ministry is more important. She left her husband. She left her children for a career or an attempt at a career in Christian contemporary music. Understand, it's doable. We can put ministry, we can put calling ahead of the the natural loves that we should have, the affections of parents for children, just in these two examples. The love of God is above ministry. The love of our neighbor is above ministry. The love of a person receiving ministry is more important than your anointing. Do you know some people get so excited about ministry that they just look for people to practice on? Give me the next one, I'll pray for healing. Give me the next one, I'll pray for healing. Give me the next one, I'll pray for healing. And you've got four people, you know, behind you. But it's the love of God that's most important. You know, we want to pray for healing. We want prophetic words. We want people to step out. But the love of God and the love of people, the great two commandments, come first. And that's a danger, if I can speak from any sort of pastoral position in our church or in our movement, is that we would elevate ministry above the love of neighbor and the love of God. Do you realize that's a danger? Say amen or oh me, right? But there's, there's another group that sits here in this room. There's another group that sits in any church, really, And those are the people who are not moved to ministry at all because they're not moved by love. So you may have just listened to those stories and go, yeah, I know all those ministry people, they're whack, they're crazy. You know, they're just, they're emotional and they're excited and off they go. But the truth is, is that in this congregation or in any congregation, there are people who are not moved to any kind of service at all. And one of the questions we have to ask is, is, Where's the love? You see, ministry is not love, but it is true that love always leads to ministry because the word ministry means service. 
mothers serve their children out of the natural love that God gives mothers for children, right? We serve the ones we love. That's true whether we love, you know, a rock band or whether we love our children. Love always leads to ministry, service. It's the same thing. You see, love should motivate us to ministry. The truth is, is that we cannot love without taking action. But it is possible for our actions to be devoid of love. Let me, let me just, just ask, if, if you don't feel like you're anointed for healing prayer, if you don't feel like, okay, I'm not particularly anointed, that whole prophetic stuff, I don't even know if I believe it. It's kind of loosey-goosey. You know, who, you know, people say, oh, it changed my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe you don't buy into any of that stuff. You come here because you like the music or you like Adam, right? Uh, so you're not in for the anointed ministry stuff. Let me ask you, what ministry is love motivating you toward? Uh, last year, uh, Adam and Hannah and I went to a leadership advance at Bethel Church in Reading. And uh, Adam and Hannah, do you remember the old guy at the door who hugged you when you came in? Uh, I'm, I'm rapidly approaching the old guy status, but this guy really looked the part. White hair, grandfatherly. They had the door choked down to just one opening because, you know, this was like a, a private conference. But there was a guy like in his 60s or his 70s, you couldn't get through the door without him hugging you. And it wasn't like, hug, next, hug, next. It was like he looked at you, even though we were from Kentucky and he lived in Red Sox, it's so good to see you come here and he'd hug you. You couldn't get through the door. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm an obnoxious Yankee. When I go through a door, I want to get to through the door and get to the meeting so I can get to the good stuff. But doggone if that man's ministry of hugging people at the door didn't wear me down over four days. By the third day, it was like, I'm in line. That dude's going to hug me. <laughs> the, the ministry of hugging. You know, in, in more natural terms, it's called being a greeter. What church doesn't need greeters? There's one church in our community. I, I slipped away one morning. I cheat, don't fire me. I slipped away one morning. I went to one of their early services in our community, and they had three people working the parking lot, helping people to park the cars, and they had five people out in the parking lot to say hello to you before you even got to the door. And every single one of them was excited because they were playing a part in demonstrating the love of God. That's not bad. You see, you may not be able to speak the tongues of men and of angels. You may not have all wisdom or speak prophetic words, but doggone it, with the right heart adjustment, we can hug them at the door. You know, and it's not just Redding, California. It's not, you know, just that church down the street. Before we planted the vineyard here, I was a member at St. Andrew United Methodist, you know, South Central. And there was an old grandfatherly guy, and, you know, the pastor would stand at the door, and he's shaking hands as people leave. But then you went out the door and down the steps to the parking lot and there was this grandfather and my two older children who are now in their 20s, the only thing they remember about going to St. Andrew was is there was a wonderful man who hugged them on the way out every week. Let me just ask you, love motivates us to ministry. What's your ministry? What's your ministry? What's your ministry? What's your ministry? What's motivating you to demonstrate the love of God? See, ministry is not about, above love, but love does motivate ministry. That's what he's talking about in these first three verses. St. Augustine, who was a really old guy who hugged people at the door, 
said, action is activity according to love. If you love, you can do what you wish. Maybe you're not a hugger. What ministry could you do? What ministry could you do? Well, those are the first three verses. But let's go on to another part. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Everybody, you, you know what you're going to do, don't you? Baby, don't hurt me. I was practicing this the other don't night. I pulled the muscle. No more. And I broke a car window. Again. All right, you take it down. You know, here's part of the problem is, is do we know what love is? It, does it strike anybody as funny that it's what is love? What's the next line? You can say amen, or you can say, oh me. Do you, do you un- <laughs> good, you chose amen, good for you. <coughs> do, do you understand? We need to square up to love. School needs to be in session do we really know what love is? Do we really know what love is? Uh, 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 we got, uh, you know, the professor up there on the, the board. He's, uh, I've learned a lot from that man over the years. Uh, I've learned that Tenacious D is not just what the Wildcats play during basketball season. That's uh, supposed to show you how in touch with culture I am. <laughs> yeah, I am so hip, right? Do you, remember this, do you remember the scene in School of Rock? where, you know, he's a poser, he's not a teacher, and he's in the lunchroom with the teachers. And Jack Black says, you know, I believe that the children are the future. You know, if we teach them well, we should let them lead the way. And one of the other teachers goes, isn't that a song? And he goes, no, no, it's not. (laughs) Do you know what that song teaches us about love? Do you know the lyric line about love in that song? The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. It's learning to love yourself. What what kind of crap is that? (laughs) Sorry, I just said crap in church, I know. Twice, I've said it twice? Oh my God, I'm becoming an angry old man, no doubt. Do Do you understand? We have all kinds of notions about what love is. We've got all kinds of notions. I I learned when I was a young person, all you need is love. I thought that was it, you know? The problem is, is how do we define what it is is that all we need? What is love? What is love? Well, when you start to look at verses four through eight, you begin to get revelation from God exactly about what love is and interestingly enough, what love is not. Isn't it nice of the Holy Spirit to lay it out in a way that you could literally take a pen and put a line right down the page and on this side you could put what love is and on this side you could put what love is not. Did did you see the verses? Do you remember them? Love is patient. Love is kind. That goes on one side of the paper. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't delight in evil. But then back over on the other side, it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then right at the top of the page, you could write, love never fails. And you're going, okay, nice poetry. But remember, the one thing that I'm after today is, is it possible to live up to these words? Would God really reveal this and then go, good luck? Sorry, bucko. 
Or is he actually trying to teach us that these things can be within our grasp? It's an amazing revelation. The Holy Spirit gives us instructions about what love is and what love is not. So in your marriage, with your children, with your neighbors, with the people you really don't like, love is patient. Love's kind. It doesn't envy. It's not proud. It doesn't boast. It doesn't chew gum in class. Wait, that's not in there. These things that are in verses 4 through 8 are actually the steps to living an excellent life. Husband to wife, wife to husband. Parent to child, child to parent. Neighbor to neighbor. And even, you want to know how to get your enemy off your backside so life isn't such a pain in that backside? How about, this is a really radical idea. Somebody ought to write it down. Love your enemies. Or said more appropriately for our culture, kill them with kindness. Pour it on. You know, one of the most perplexing statements Jesus ever said, I don't even pretend to understand it, is that if you will love your enemy, you're heaping hot coals on his head. I'm all about the second part. And I don't understand why he's telling me to love and I can get the same satisfaction as if I scald the guy. You want to get along better with your neighbors? You want to get along? I knew a guy that shot his neighbor's cat. I mean, not by accident. The cat kept coming across to the yard. It's a cat for crying out. He shot it! That one might have been in another state or another town. Or maybe not. (laughs) Do Do you know the two words that you won't find in this chapter? This is important. And it doesn't matter whether you're a boomer or whether you're, you know, generation next. Do you know the two words you won't find side by side? Love feels. Oh, baby, 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 I love the way you make me feel. And as long as you make me feel this way, we're together. That's not in the biblical revelation about what love is like. There may be love at first sight, you understand? I know there might be some stories in here like from the first date, you know, I proposed. She didn't say yes, it took 13 more months. You know, there might be any of those things. But you realize that the revelation of God is that love feels is not a part of the divine. It's not a part of the divine explanation of love. But I can tell you from personal experience that if you will walk the most excellent path, the feelings follow. Can can I just say that? Can 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 I just say it because I'm a little bit of an older guy who has made plenty of mistakes in my life and I have a really long suffering wife. But let me just tell you that if you will walk the path, the feelings follow. I'm just going to give you one example. We have two birth children and we have one adopted child. Let me just tell you, as somebody who's experienced the joys of parenthood through the natural process, we love our two birth children. I can tell you, I'm here to testify, the love we have for our adopted daughter is no different. 
That means that one day they put a ten and a half month old stranger into our arms, and what did we do? We were patient, we were kind, we always protected, we always believed, we believed the best, we didn't, you know, take it personally when she soiled her diapers. We gave ourselves to that little child, and I'm telling you, the love we feel for her is no different than the natural love that you would feel through childbirth. It's not, that's the, and I'm not just talking about having kids. It's a parable for the fact that if you will commit yourself and if you will give yourself to walk the most excellent path, you will find what all the poets sing about. But let me just ask you, if you're a young man or a young woman, do you want the burden in your life that I have to make him feel this way or he won't love me anymore? Do you want the burden? I've got to make sure that I make her feel this way or she won't love me anymore. Is that a fair burden to put on any individual? And the answer is no. And the answer is that's why we've got such a screwed up system. With, you know, and I'm not here to preach about divorce. I'm just saying, look, marriage is made to last a lifetime or the scars will last a lifetime. I'm, I'm just saying I'm just saying. We need to square up to love, and we need to listen carefully to the words of our senior pastor, Adam Russell, when he says you should align yourself with love. I, this, this hit me like a thunderbolt. I can't, I can't tell you exactly when you preached it, but I know I wrote it down, and, and, I've, and I've been meditating on it ever since. Adam Russell said this. He said, if you will align yourself with love, you align yourself with God because God is love. Can I give you... Look, to align yourself with love is to align yourself with God because God is love. You want to find out how to walk and in, in match step with God? Well, just align yourself with love. And the more I meditated on it, and when I found this passage, and when I found in verse 8 that it says, love never fails, I could change it this way too. To align yourself with love is to align yourself with victory because love never fails. So how many of you want to be like this with God? And how many of you want to go 16-0 and 0 this NFL season? Right up to the Super Bowl when you lose. Sorry, Patriots fans. No. To align yourself with love is to align yourself with God because God is love, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Or to align yourself with love is to align yourself with victory because love never fails. You may have wayward children. I'm here today to tell you, love never fails. You may have been rejected by a spouse, and it might have been 20 years ago. I'm telling you, love never fails. Give yourself to love now, and you will find everything that you were spurned for 20 years ago. Love never fails. It's the pathway. It's the most excellent pathway. And that's, that's as much as, you know, really needs to be taught. You see, part of the damage of the romantic vision of love is the conviction that love cannot be attained. It cannot be conjured up. You know, I've had young people look right at me and go, well, the heart wants what it wants. Well, guess what? The heart can be trained like any other muscle. It's just what I think. The romantic notion of love that's in our life ends up causing heartbreak and you'll break a window in your car 
again. Don't do it. I mean, look, my wife and I love each other passionately. There's, I mean, you know, we gross plenty of people out, okay? But the truth is, is that it's walking the path and the feelings come. And then in verses 8 through 13, we get a picture of the eschaton, of the end of days. It's the things that remain. You, you know, it says prophecies are going to cease. It says tongues are going to be stilled. Knowledge is going to pass away. And in fact, even now, we know in part, we prophesy in part. Anything that we do now is just partial. But there are some things that remain. And that last verse is amazing because you could give yourself all week, heck, all month, heck, for the rest of the year, you could give yourself to the meditation that there are at least three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Do you understand? You won't have a prophetic ministry in heaven that you won't need to prophesy. The city is lit by Jesus. You understand that? You won't need to have a great healing ministry and a television ministry and a newsletter and a magazine in heaven because in heaven every tear has been wiped away. Every body has been resurrected. Every child that can't walk straight is, you know, is now walking and running. In heaven you don't need a healing ministry. I'm not against healing ministries. We love it but it's not something that remains. And as much as I love teaching, teaching the Word of God or even teaching, you know, like what Andrea does, you won't have a teaching ministry in heaven because we will know, even as we're known, we'll see by the light of day. It was expressed this way. Look, it's that when all the lesser lights are turned off, what is it that remains? See, healing is a lesser light. Prophecy is a lesser light. Teaching is a lesser light. What remains? Amazingly, and and, and I've been challenged by this this week, faith remains in heaven. Hope remains in heaven, which which is a real puzzler to me. If anybody's got like the revelation on that, hope remains in heaven. But hope is always a future-oriented. Paul says you don't hope in something you have. You're leaning forward. You're looking for something. And then love remains, and the greatest of these is love. And there's this counterpoint there in verse 12. Now we see as a poor reflection in a mirror, mirror. Then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I'll be fully known. Do you understand that we're being invited by the Holy Spirit to participate in the powers of the age to come now? And we can have it perfected then. So if your love isn't perfect, your ability to love isn't perfect, if the best you can do on love is just an eight-ounce curl, not, not the other kind, but just eight ounces is as much as you can do, it will be perfected. But why not work on it now? And then it will be perfected. You see, then is when all the lesser lights are going to be turned off. So here's... Here's the question you can take home with you. What if I really could be made into a loving person? I want you to think that. You can speak it if you want. I want you to think it in the first person. What if I really could be made into a loving person? Well, you don't understand. I'm just not like that. I've got good news. You can be made 
into a loving person. It's called transformation. It's called metamorphosis. And it's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives here and now. And as Bill Johnson says out of Reading, if you want to see your city transformed, guess what? Transformed people transform their cities. If you're looking for the heavens to be rent open, that's an Isaiah passage, and he dumps the truck on us, I got news for you. It's going to come from the inside out. What if I could be transformed into a loving person? Well, I've got a temper. Boy, do you, by the way. I've got a temper. Well, guess what? There's hope for today that you can walk the most excellent path. Oh, I get my feelings hurt too much, and for, for me, forgiving is just hard. I've got good news. Today, you can learn to walk the most excellent path. You see, he didn't write this chapter just so preachers would have something to say at weddings. The Holy Spirit wrote this chapter to show us the possibilities. Think about your own life. What if I could be made into a loving person? The truth is, is that our hearts really want that. We just don't believe that it's possible. And I think it is. I think it's possible. So as part of our ministry time, I want to give you the exercise, and then I actually just want to challenge you to do the exercise during the week. Then we'll move into ministry time. And Adam, if it's all right, I'm going to hand ministry time back to you. But let me give you a spiritual exercise that you could do this week, all right? Now, you might be having trouble, I don't know, with a, with a kid. You might be having trouble with a spouse. You might want to shoot your neighbor's cat. I don't know where the rough spots are in your life, okay? I don't know. But one of the most transforming things in my life is to read the Scripture on behalf of other people. Instead of looking for what the Scripture has for me, I've learned now to start to claim the Scripture on behalf of other people. So let me just give you this exercise. Okay, let's say I'm not getting along with my wife. All right, I am, by the way, we're doing pretty well. But let's say I wasn't, okay? Instead of just reading this passage as poetry or reading this passage about me receiving the love of God, what if I inserted my wife's name and that the love that's in the passage was for her? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love for Kim, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I've got faith that can move mountains, but I have not love for Kim, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my bodies to the flames, but I have not love for Kim, I'm nothing. Love for Kim is patient. Love for Kim is kind. Love for Kim doesn't envy. Love for Kim doesn't boast. Love for Kim isn't proud. You see how it works? Where are the rough spots in your life? If I have not love for my neighbor's cat, I am nothing. You, know, you, you, you realize, you know, we, we love it when the scripture speaks nice about us. But what happens if we're called to be the change agents that bring the scripture to life in the lives of our neighbors. What happens there? If I don't have love for my teenage son, I'm nothing. My love for my teenage son is patient. 
My love for my teenage son is kind. My love for that guy at work that I want to strangle is patient. My love for the guy who always gets a better score in class than me is it doesn't boast and it's not envious and it's not proud, right? I was always the second best salesman anywhere that I worked and I hated the other guy all the time. I don't, I don't have to worry about those guys now. No, I do. I need to worry about my neighbors. I need to worry about my community. I need to worry about the people in my family. I need to worry about my spouse. And I, I just want to share with you that we can make it over the bar. God didn't reveal this scripture so that we could have warm fuzzies on a wedding day. God didn't reveal the scripture so that we could just have warm fuzzies about God's love for us, even though he is patient with us and kind with us. And, you know, he never fails with us. We're called to be the change agents that demonstrate the love of God. In this vineyard community, we will not elevate ministry over love. And in this vineyard community, we will challenge every person, if there's love, where's the ministry? Either way, just one little advertisement. We have three people that have been doing the greeting faithfully for years. Those three people would love to give their jobs away. And you know what? You don't need three. We could have 30. What if this church had 30 greeters? First of all, there'd be more parking spaces. And it's hard to park in this joint. You ever notice that? If we had 30 greeters, we could have three out there directing traffic, two hugging in the parking lot, you know, and one chasing people down the street because they just got hugged in the parking lot. I'm just, just a commercial for greeters. If you're on ministry team today, why don't you sprint here forward? And Adam Lee, if it's all right, I just feel like I'm supposed to give the ministry opportunities back to you. And um, thanks, guys. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Thanks, Ray Ray. It's terrific. Awesome, guys. Why don't we stand up this morning? And um, I know we've been here a while, but we're going to be in no hurry at this point. Is it okay? Sometimes we just we overprogram the moment.